Now we're going to follow our outline that we have provided for you. There is a couple of places where we would encourage you to fill in some blanks and we'll help you on that when we get there, but be ready if you will. Now our teacher on prayer here is of course the Apostle Paul. There's probably no one more qualified to teach us on this subject than he. He was a man of prayer, and whenever you want a teacher on prayer, find a man of prayer. He knew the power of prayer, and he constantly exhorted others to pray. I used last night in our men's prayer meeting the verse from Romans 10, where Paul said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He was praying for the unsaved. He was praying for the saved. In these verses, he gives us some very valuable guidelines on the subject of prayer, and that's what I want to touch on briefly with you, and then we're going to apply what we have studied together. First of all, the priority of prayer. And by the way, before we get started in the outline, let's not think of prayer as something spooky or something that we would call legalized. I don't want anybody in this church to get under the bondage of, of prayer. I don't think prayer is bondage. I think prayer is freedom. And yet I sometimes feel that people feel we are trying to be legalistic about prayer, setting up times of prayer and prayer meetings. That is not our purpose at all, to become legalistic. It is to, pro to provide for people an avenue of prayer and a place of prayer, but not to be legalistic. I think that could be the most debilitating thing about prayer of all, that we get legalistic about it, demanding about it, instead of it being a free flow of our spirits. That's my desire, that it become a free flow, but that we utilize schedules that are established for the well-being of the body of Christ. So let's kind of come out from under the cloud, okay? We're not here to make anybody feel bad. We're not here to put people down. We're not here to put you under some kind of a guilt trip because you haven't prayed an hour a day or you haven't followed the Timeless Insight devotional booklet, which I hope you'll pick up at the door tonight afterward. Uh, none of that is our purpose tonight, okay? How many accept that? You like that? Okay, good. You must. The priority of prayer, verse 1. I exhort. That word translated is urge. I urge you. Prayer is a priority matter. The most important spiritual exercise in which we can engage is the ministry of prayer. Now, if I were to give you a definition of prayer, it would simply be communicating with God. Communicating with God. That's what prayer is. It is the avenue that God has made available to us to talk to Him. And for Him to talk back to us. It is a priority in the life of every believer. It was a priority in the life of Jesus. It was a priority in the early church. That's what we would like to look at in Acts 6, which is noted on your outline there. Acts 6, verse number 4. The apostles said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer 
they chose deacons so that the apostles could give themselves to the ministry of intercession. And that is so important for the ongoing life of the church. There is a verse in Romans, the 12th chapter, that speaks to us of the importance or priority of prayer. There are three things stated in Romans 12, verse 12. The first is rejoicing in hope. The second is patient in tribulation. The third is continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now where is it that God is commanding the blessing? I believe it is where people pray. Where people take this opportunity to set themselves apart from the things of this life for prayer, for communicating with God. That it must become in our schedules a priority item or it will not happen. If you do not make eating a priority, you won't eat. My wife gets after me sometimes because I eat so irregularly. I think other things are more important than eating, honestly. I am not enamored by eating. Now, when I have time, it's enjoyable. But if there are other things, I don't count it a priority over those other things. And so I don't eat very regularly, and I know Dr. Coe is just shaking his head at me right now. That's not a suggestion. I'm using it as an illustration. Some need more regular habits of eating than others, evidently, because it doesn't seem to bother me all that much. My illustration, however, is to focus on prayer. The priority of prayer. If you are not regular and make it a priority in your life, there is definite damage. There is hindrance to growth and development. That's why we have set aside that 6 a.m. prayer time and the Saturday night prayer time and the ladies' prayer time and the pre-service prayer time and these other emphases that you will see in your bulletin from time to time so that we will come aside and make prayer a priority, that it will not be taking us from things that cannot be left undone. It will be a thing that will come naturally because it is prioritized into the schedule of people in this fellowship, including the 168-hour prayer room out there at the corner of our building that still has some hours that need to be filled. It needs to become a priority. My vision in prayer has been that all around the clock, I will know that there, is our, there are prayers going up to God from this church. That at all hours, somebody is praying. Because I think it's going to cause the enemy a great deal of problem when that happens. He's already a little bit nervous, but we can really make him nervous if we get this thing prioritized properly. And that is what this passage of Scripture is all about in 1 Timothy. I exhort that prayers be prayed for people in authority. 
and intercessions and giving of thanks for all men. Are these requests that we lay on the communion table in the morning heard by God when we pray? Absolutely. One of the praise reports that came back to me just this week from our television audience was from a man who wrote saying, I have cancer, please pray for me. He went into surgery and they actually opened him up, but they found absolutely no trace of cancer whatsoever. And he wrote on the praise envelope to me, Pastor Cole, God answered prayer. They found no cancer in my body when they took me into the operating room. That was as fresh as this week. Praise the Lord. So we lay those requests out. We put them in the prayer room. We pass them out to our people so that we may make prayer a priority for all men we are to pray, according to verse 1. The priority. It's not down here at the bottom somewhere. It's up here somewhere. It has to be in order for God's work to be blessed and God's people to advance. Now secondly, there is a procedure of prayer. Verses 1 and 2. And let's take a look at that. There are different ways to pray. One is by supplication. Another by prayers. Another by intercessions and giving of thanks. Now what do all of these mean? Let's take a look at what they could represent. Supplications. That means specific petitions. That is what we find in the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. When Paul was in prison and he was going to lose his head the next day. The church was gathered together in a prayer meeting and they prayed specifically for the release of the Apostle Paul. They wanted him to be free from prison. That was a supplication. That's exactly what it means. A specific petition. It's not, Lord, bless the world. It's, Lord, touch John in certain place. That's a supplication. It's specific. Set Paul free. Get him out of prison. And while they were praying, the supplication got through and he was released. So that is one way. Now prayers, those are general petitions. Those are things that we enter into a lot. Where we pray for the leadership of Washington, D.C. and of other states. We generalize our prayers. Bless missionaries, Lord, around the world. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are general petitions that God hears. And knowing the needs of missionaries or governmental leaders or whoever, God sends down aid to wherever the need is because somebody is offering a prayer unto God. General. Intercessions. What are intercessions? This is perhaps one of the most important areas of prayer in the Bible. Intercessions are when you pray specifically for others. You don't need to know them even. It's like the brother who was healed of the cancerous condition. Somebody breathed his name to God because it was on a list. That was an intercession. That person wasn't known by the prayer because that request came to us through the mail from another city. But that intercession reached the throne of God, and God stepped down to heal the man 
who the prayer had not met. Praise God. But it was an intercession, praying for others. And I would like to add, often it is praying in the Spirit. It is a travail in prayer that touches God and releases the bonding that we are praying for. But it's specifically praying for others. That's what intercession is all about. And then thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Along with all of the praying, you are to give your thanksgiving. Now Lord, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I know that you're always interceding for me and for those that I am praying for. And I thank you for the answer. I thank you for the victory. I praise you for what you're doing right now. I know that I'm going to hear that you have intervened and that you are Lord of all of these lives and of all of these situations. I give you my personal praise and thanksgiving, Lord, for hearing my petition. That should accompany our prayers. Well, those are the different ways. Have you got them? And we have a wonderful helper in the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 26. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us. So in the Spirit, we can pray as well. Now, different people for whom to pray. That's a part of this second point. You also see in verse, verses 1 and 2, in verse 1, you pray for all men. In verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. And verse 3, pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Is that exercise? Now, without responding, how many of you regularly pray according to this passage of Scripture? We, are, we actually lift up those who are in authority. Verse 2 says we are to pray for those who are in authority. Can you imagine what would happen if overnight everybody who criticizes the president would start praying for him? What would happen? If all the Democrats would start praying? <laughs> if all the congressmen would start praying for the president instead of criticizing him? What would happen? Pray for those who are in authority. Now, it doesn't say for those that you agree with in authority. It just says pray for those who are in authority. Pray for kings and those who are in authority. That is an admonition of Scripture as a procedure for prayer. Now, let's go up to verse 1 and look at that term. It says pray for all men. But Lord, I don't want to pray for the Russians. I don't want to pray for the Chinese. Some of you who fought in the Second World War may have some feelings about praying for the Japanese, but that's all behind. We are to pray for all men, and they are to pray for us. We are not to carry those things through our spiritual life. We are to pray for all men that God will touch them and move upon their hearts. When I'm in the prayer room over there, there's a map on the wall of the world of Islam, and every time I'm in there, I stand over that plaque, that map on the wall, and I put my hands over top of it, and I'm praying for those nations where Islam is so strong that God will move by His mercy and by His grace 
where they are deceived by Islam and come into a revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to pray for all men according to the Bible. That is a procedure of prayer. And in so doing, God commands the blessing. Now, if you want to take this right down to where it's supposed to be, it's for your friends and your enemies. It's for the rich and the poor, the good and the bad, the high and the low, the Christians and the non-Christians. Notice the repetition of the word all in verses 2, verse 4, and verse 6. All men, all men. It's there three times, all. Have you prayed for Charles Manson lately? When you pick up the paper and you see the travesties of lives, does it ever occur to you that the command of Scripture is to pray for them? That God can reach through even the terrible atrocities that seem to be going on as people, instead of saying, ah, and throwing up their hands in despair, begin to pray in the name of Jesus that He will penetrate the darkness of the heart and bring them into the family of God? Again, what would happen if the church began to do that? What are we talking about? How, when, and where to pray? May I encourage you to start doing that? Think how praying Christians can influence the course of history. If you wonder about that, go back and study the book of Daniel sometime and see how God influenced the course of history by four praying boys, Hebrew boys, literally changed the course of history by their intercessions and their influence in prayer. Number three, the purpose of prayer in verse two, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now that could be translated tranquil, quiet, freedom from outward hostility, war, or riots. So there on the blank line, you should write in that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. You've heard me pray that way many Sunday morning here in this church. Lord, touch our leaders that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, a tranquil, quiet, freedom from outward hostility, war, riots, etc. A calm, peaceable life. That is what the Bible is encouraging. When people pray, the promise of God is that this will happen. The door of opportunity is still open for the church of Jesus Christ because we have been practicing that admonition to pray for those in authority that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives. Nobody is here rapping at our door saying you've got to quit preaching. You've got to stop this meeting. No one has done that yet. Thank God. Is that just accidental? No, it's because we have learned to pray for those who are in authority that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives and the gospel opportunity may remain open to us. Let us not take that for granted, friends. What is the big value in praying for our country, our leaders? The big value is that the gospel may continue to have free course. That's what's going to keep things calm and quiet and peaceable. If there is to be any calm, peace, and quiet, it will be through the riches of Jesus Christ as they are made known to the darkened hearts of men. So that's the purpose of prayer.
I hope that you can grasp that. Now the place of prayer, verse 8. The place of prayer is everywhere, if you want to know the truth of the matter. And I have given you some verses here, and I think because of the time, I'm not going to ask you to look these verses up. Let me just kind of fill you in a little bit here on, on what these represent. The first one in Acts 16 is by the riverside. The Philippian church, they gathered by the riverside as a place of meeting, as a place of prayer. That was part of the early church. They just gathered wherever they could find a place. And there God met with them. In Luke 5, 16, it was in the wilderness. In the wilderness. In Luke 6, 12, it was on the mountaintop. In Mark 1.35, it was in a solitary place where Jesus prayed. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it's pray without ceasing, which means everywhere. Now when you look down that list, you have a riverside, a wilderness, a mountaintop, a solitary place, and you have everywhere. That's exactly the emphasis of this passage. Oh, that men would pray everywhere. Now we need to do it on the job. We need to do it on the campus. We need to do it when we're alone. We need to do it when we're with people to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that. Pray without ceasing. Be in a constant spirit of prayer. That should be your lifestyle. Everywhere. Now, there are other things that the Bible talks about that I'll just throw out to you real quick. In Genesis 18, they were praying standing. In Exodus 9, with their hands lifted up. In Exodus 12, with bowing the head. Psalm 25.15, lifting the eyes heavenward. Psalm 95.6, kneeling. Genesis 17, the face to the ground. And this one I like, 1 Kings 18.42, Elijah's face is between his knees. Luke 18.13, the publican beat his breast in the temple, smiting himself in contrition. The posture. What is the posture a reflection of? The attitude of the soul. See, there are many postures. Sometimes you feel like laying down. Sometimes you want to raise up your hands. Sometimes you feel like putting your head between your knees. It just depends. Sometimes you want to go out in the woods and walk and talk to God. The attitude of the soul is involved here. And in the Bible, there are many postures of prayer. In the Bible, there is reference to lifting up holy hands, which means come with a clean heart, come with a conscience void of offense, come having been washed by the blood of Jesus, and your prayers will be heard. It says a pure heart, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without resentment. You cannot pray with resentment. You cannot pray with wrong spirit. You've got to ask God to help you in your spirit. You cannot afford to come into the presence of God with bitterness and resentment. You've got to get rid of that. The, the, the psalmist prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore unto me a right spirit. 
That's what we have to have if we're going to pray appropriately. And then in James 1, 5 through 7, we have listed this verse here for our admonition under the heading of faith. There must be faith. It, it has to be without doubting. That's what James 1 says, come without doubting. For he that doubteth is like a wave of the sea, tossed, driven, double-minded. But the man who prays in faith, without doubting, is the man who will achieve the victories that God has made available to him in prayer. Now in the closing moment of this little exhortation on prayer, I direct your attention to the 11th chapter of Luke and the first verse, which you probably know, where the disciples, having noticed the prayer life of Jesus, said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Then he proceeded to give them what we call the Lord's Prayer, which we've been learning to pray through the teaching of Brother Larry Lee. Lord, teach us to pray. That should be our desire. As I look at this audience tonight of several hundred people, that should be the desire, no matter what our age. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, help me to apply these principles on prayer. Help me to be the kind of person that Paul is adjuring Timothy to be in this passage of Scripture where I will pray everywhere, where I will pray for those in authority. I will pray for all men. I will be a person that lives in an attitude and in the influence of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Do you believe prayer changes things? If we believe it, then why don't we do it more? Why don't we pray about everything? Why don't we really bring to God our concerns, the avenues of our whole life, rather than just using Him as an emergency escape vehicle somehow, hoping He'll help us when everything else has failed? I think it would please the heart of God if we would make a determination tonight that before we concern ourselves with anything else in life, we're going to talk to God about the situation and get his direction and his blessing. It would solve so many problems. It would create so many wonderful situations if we would learn how to pray. Jesus prayed. He spent all night in prayer many times. He arose early to pray. If Jesus had to pray, we surely need to pray. Friends, let us be known as a people of prayer. Let us be as individuals known as people of prayer. Let us talk to God about everything. And let us be used of God to turn the tide in this hour of need in America. I believe we can do it. I am praying more and more, God, give us Sacramento. God, send revival to Sacramento. I think if we get enough people praying that prayer, it's going to happen that God can break through all of the red tape and all of the crime and all of the sin and bring about a shaking revival and make Jesus known to Sacramento. I want that.
Don't you? And I know God wants that. In the closing moments of our service tonight, around the communion table, we're going to make commitments of prayer, commitments that I believe God's going to use in a marvelous and wonderful way. Let me preface it by telling you that just a couple of weeks ago, I was beckoned to Dallas to attend a one-day meeting with Dr. Larry Lee and about 70 other pastors from around America on this matter of prayer, and particularly to discuss the call to prayer that is being issued for this July in our nation's capital. There have been many onslaughts on Washington, civil rights groups. There has even been a march on Washington by church people in America, which was powerful. But to my knowledge, there has never been a prayer assault on Washington, D.C. This July, there's going to be a prayer assault on Washington, D.C. Dr. Larry Lee is going to conduct a three-day conference in Washington on prayer, and there is going to be a massive effort put forth to touch Washington, our capital, with the power of prayer. It was exciting to meet with black pastors, Hispanic pastors, and white pastors from across this nation who have one common feel and one common prayer that God will do something in America in this hour. I believe God is going to do something in America because I believe there are more people praying than there ever has been for America. And we want some of you to consider perhaps taking a journey to Washington during that time to join this assault on Washington, D.C., that God will move in those that lead this nation to come back to righteousness and principles of the Bible that will bring us more time to preach the gospel to the world. The second aspect of the prayer emphasis tonight is that Dr. Larry Lee has felt impressed of God, and we concur with his impression, that there should be 300,000 committed believers in the churches of America who will be praying an hour a day that God will move in his mercy once again to bring people back to God. We are going to ask you tonight after the service to sign a sheet in the lobby and be a part of that group of 300,000. I don't know how many here can make that commitment, but I'm encouraging you to do so. And you can also pick up the material for that prayer assault that I have just mentioned to you in Washington back there at the table. Many of you are participating as a result of Dr. Lee's ministry here last May could sign that commitment that you're going to be one of those 300,000 who are going to pray every day that God will touch America, even as this passage of Scripture has indicated. Then I want Pastor Kimball Knight to come and apply some of these principles to our ministry right here as a body. And then we're going to go to the table together, and that will be a wonderful place to finalize or firm up our commitment on this matter of prayer. I know if I were to ask every one of you if you agree with what I've said, you would say, yes, I agree with it.
Well, now it's time to say, I'm going to do something about it. So, Pastor Knight, come and tell us what you would like and challenge our hearts, our pastor of prayer here at Capital Christian Center. Regarding the 300,000-member prayer, it is envisioned that there would be an army of prayer warriors, of intercessors, that would sweep across the nation. And it's not just people signing their name and they say, I will pray. And there's a little more teeth that is put into it than that. They want several things. They want the, that group of people to be praying, committed to a local church setting at a 6 a.m. prayer meeting such as we have and be a part of that. They will be establishing the national call to prayer. They'll be establishing 10 different regions all across the United States. Each region will have a representative. And under each representative, there will be districts. And then the districts will infiltrate down to the churches. The idea is that when there is a crisis in our nation, whether it be here at home, internationally, with one telephone call from Washington or wherever the... That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, a tranquil, quiet, freedom from outward hostility, war riots, etc. A calm, peaceable life. That is what the Bible is encouraging. When people pray, the promise of God is that this will happen. The door of opportunity is still open for the church of Jesus Christ because we have been practicing that admonition to pray for those in authority that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives. Nobody is here rapping at our door saying you've got to quit preaching. You've got to stop this meeting. No one has done that yet. Thank God. Is that just accidental? No, it's because we have learned to pray for those who are in authority that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives and the gospel opportunity may remain open to us. Let us not take that for granted, friends. What is the big value in praying for our country, our leaders? The big value is that the gospel may continue to have free course. That's what's going to keep things calm and quiet and peaceable. If there is to be any calm, peace, and quiet, it will be through the riches of Jesus Christ as they are made known to the darkened hearts of men. So that's the purpose of prayer. I hope that you can grasp that. Now the place of prayer, verse 8. The place of prayer is everywhere, if you want to know the truth of the matter. And I have given you some verses here, and I think because of the time, I'm not going to ask you to look these verses up. Let me just kind of fill you in a little bit here on, on what these represent. The first one in Acts 16 is by the riverside. The Philippian church, they gathered by the riverside as a place of meeting, as a place of prayer. That was part of the early church. They just gathered wherever they could find a place. And there God met with them. In Luke 5:16, it was in the wilderness. In the wilderness, 
In Luke 6, 12, it was on the mountaintop. In Mark 1, 35, it was in a solitary place where Jesus prayed. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it's pray without ceasing, which means everywhere. Now, when you look down that list, you have a riverside, a wilderness, a mountaintop, a solitary place, and you have everywhere. That's exactly the emphasis of this passage. Oh, that men would pray everywhere. Now, we need to do it on the job. We need to do it on the campus. We need to do it when we're alone. We need to do it when we're with people to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that. Pray without ceasing. Be in a constant spirit of prayer. That should be your lifestyle. Everywhere. Now, there are other things that the Bible talks about that I'll just throw out to you real quick. In Genesis 18, they were praying standing. In Exodus 9, with their hands lifted up. In Exodus 12, with bowing the head. Psalm 25.15, lifting the eyes heavenward. Psalm 95.6, kneeling. Genesis 17, the face to the ground. And this one I like. 1 Kings 18.42, Elijah's face is between his knees. Luke 18.13, the publican beat his breast in the temple, smiting himself in contrition. The posture. What is the posture a reflection of? The attitude of the soul. See, there are many postures. Sometimes you feel like laying down. Sometimes you want to raise up your hands. Sometimes you feel like putting your head between your knees. It just depends. Sometimes you want to go out in the woods and walk and talk to God. The attitude of the soul is involved here. And in the Bible, there are many postures of prayer. In the Bible, there are is reference to lifting up holy hands, which means come with a clean heart, come with a conscience void of offense, come having been washed by the blood of Jesus, and your prayers will be heard. It says a pure heart, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without resentment. You cannot pray with resentment. You cannot pray with wrong spirit. You've got to ask God to help you in your spirit. You cannot afford to come into the presence of God with bitterness and resentment. You've got to get rid of that. The, the, the psalmist prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore unto me a right spirit. That's what we have to have if we're going to pray appropriately. And then in James 1, 5-7, through 7, we have listed this verse here for our admonition under the heading of faith. There must be faith. It it has to be without doubting. That's what James 1 says. Come without doubting. For he that doubteth is like a wave of the sea. Tossed. Driven. Double-minded. But the man who prays in faith without doubting is the man who will achieve the victories that God has made available to him in prayer. Now in the closing moment of this little exhortation on prayer, I direct your attention to the 11th chapter of Luke and the first verse, which you probably know. 
where the disciples, having noticed the prayer life of Jesus, said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Then he proceeded to give them what we call the Lord's Prayer, which we've been learning to pray through the teaching of Brother Larry Lee. Lord, teach us to pray. That should be our desire. As I look at this audience tonight of several hundred people, that should be the desire, no matter what our age. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, help me to apply these principles on prayer. Help me to be the kind of person that Paul is adjuring Timothy to be in this passage of Scripture where I will pray everywhere, where I will pray for those in authority. I will pray for all men. I will be a person that lives in an attitude and in the influence of prayer.